So, our reading this morning is in Ephesians. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, and because I have no idea what somebody was thinking when they put in verse numbers, and sometimes verse numbers and chapter numbers bear no relation whatsoever um, to what's actually been written in the letter, we're going to go over into uh, a couple of verses um, in Ephesians chapter 5. So, here we are this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses t- starting at verse 25, into chapter 5, and the first couple of verses. This is what it says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Amen. So this morning I'm continuing on the the series which Mark has started on the the seven deadly sins and um, the one I got, uh, the one I chose, she gave me a, a, a few choices, uh, and the one I went for this morning was anger. Uh, and before I actually start my sermon properly this morning, let me tell you about my morning. Um, before I, when I get up on a Sunday morning, if I'm going to preach, I go and I print off my sermon notes. And I always tell my, I have always told my children that that's a very bad thing to do, not printing sermon notes. What I mean is leaving it until the very last minute before you print off your sermon notes. Because as many of you will know, if you've got any experience with computers, computers know when you really need something urgently. And that's when they decide not to cooperate with you. So this morning... Um, I went to print off my sermon and I was, just in case there was any last minute changes, and there was this horrible grindy noise coming from my printer um, as it basically chewed up the paper as it came out of the printer. Now, Lorraine will be my witness. Uh, because I work in IT, I already learned there's no point in shouting at things, they just don't listen. So I very calmly took off the pile of stuff that surrounds our printer, boxes of hankies, candles. My wife loves burning candles. Our house looks like the Sistine Chapel. (laughs) Moved all of these things out of the road. A jewelry box which sits on top of my printer for some reason. Got all these things off, got the printer out, got the paper out, reset the printer, went back through and printed it off. And a funny thing happened to my sermon notes. 
I know you won't be able to necessarily see this, I'll let you see it later on, but for some odd reason, there is a big set of words printed right across the middle of it, and funnily enough it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. My computer was clearly worried I was going to punch its lights out this morning. So, here is a computer trying to teach me grace, which I thought was an interesting experience this morning. So, just with that, starting with that point this morning, anger, unfortunately, is something that we tend to see um, almost every day of our lives, whether it's the blast of a car horn uh, as somebody pulls it in front of us or we pull it in front of somebody and thought we'd given them plenty of room, it's maybe a couple standing having an absolute barney in the street. I was interrupted. I, I'm on the third floor um, of a building, uh, and on Monday I was aware of this sound. Through the double glazing of my office, that there was something going on outside. So, of course, being a good Scot, you stick your head out the window to see what's going on. And there is this young couple, her with a pram, him with a baseball cap, absolutely shouting at one another. Um, and I really can't tell you what the argument was about, but basically she was suggesting that he was a person of low intelligence with no empathy. <laughs> you see anger in the streets. You see the results of anger um, on a Friday and a Saturday night as our accident and emergency uh, services have to pick folk up off the street and patch them uh, all together. You see anger when a priest is spat in the face during a march in Glasgow. Anger is an ugly and destructive emotion. And what we see in real life, or what we see every day, is also reflected in the Bible. And so when we read the Bible, what we learn is that because of anger... The first murder was committed. That because of anger, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. That because of anger, Jonah accused God of being unfair. Now, did Jonah have a point? Can you accuse God of hypocrisy? Here we are this morning looking at the seven deadly sins and we're looking at the deadly sin of anger. And yet, the Bible says things like this. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. And I said, there are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest. And if you know the story of the Old Testament, you'll know that when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, the walk from, um, the walk from Egypt to the land of Canaan should have been a matter of weeks even taking a few detours. Yet because of the people's disobedience, God said that he would make them wander about for 40 years until that generation died out and it would be their children and their grandchildren would be the generation that would enter the promised land. And if you know New Testament stories, one of the, one of the stories, we've, for some reason we don't tell in Sunday school, but one of the stories that, of, that we know of in the New Testament is Jesus going and clearing out the temple. 
And it's not one we preach on very often because you can't disguise the fact that basically Jesus lost it. He went in, he kicked over tables, he threw stuff about. It says that he made a, a whip out of ropes and he beat people up. And this is gentle Jesus making mild, getting angry. And, it's, and we're told his explanation is, it is written that my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus completely lost the plot because of what these people were doing to God's house. So, are we saying this morning that it's okay for God to get angry, but it's not okay for us? Well, Ephesians 4 says that we should get rid of, as my printer wants to remind me this morning, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. But before that it says, in your anger, do not sin. So maybe this morning the question is not, is it okay for God to get angry? but not us. Maybe instead the question is, is it possible to be angry but not have a sinful anger? Is there two types of anger? One sinful that is condemned as a deadly sin and one that God says is okay and is acceptable. Let's look at the, the examples I gave earlier on. The first murder, Moses and Jonah. Let's look at them again and see what was actually going on. So, we're told in Genesis, it says that the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offerings, but in Cain and his offerings, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, we can have a great debate about well, what were the offerings? Why did God accept Abel's, not Cain's? What was different about them? Well, the answer is it didn't actually matter what Abel and what Cain gave. The problem was the heart and the attitude. So you can give God a pound in the offering this morning and give that knowing that that might be your bus fare to get to work tomorrow, but you're giving it to God as an act of faith. And you can put £100 in the offering and make it a big flourish as you wave a big wad of £10 notes about it and put it in the dish. Which offering is God going to accept? And that was the problem with Cain and Abel. It wasn't what they gave, it was the attitude with what they gave it. And Cain's response is to get angry and it says because of that anger, that's why he killed his son. So because of anger, anger made Cain jealous and jealousy led to murder. Then there's Moses. The incident we're thinking about is this. The people were moaning. They were in the middle of the desert and they complained there was no water. Who would have thunk it? And so God says to Moses, right, I will give you water out of a rock. Quite an impressive miracle. And so Moses gathers the people together and this is what happens. Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Great. Then it all goes wrong. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust, me in, trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. What went wrong? 
Moses struck the rock and just as God promised, water came out and there was enough water for everybody, people and animals to have something to drink. What went wrong? What went wrong was Moses didn't listen to what God told him to do. God told him this, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. Speak to the rock. So when Moses struck the rock, he was actually lashing out in anger. He was frustrated with the disobedience and the complaining and the moaning of the people. And that frustration led to disobedience. And that's, that anger cost him the opportunity to go to the promised land. He was allowed to get right up to the border and see it. And then he handed over the reins to Joshua and Joshua took the people into the promised land. Then we have this Jonah. Jonah, again, is one of these great stories that we, we tell in Sunday school to our children. You know, Jonah gets told to go to a, a big place like Nineveh. They've been told to go to New York or Washington or Moscow or someplace like that. And uh, basically, instead of going to Nineveh, Joshua, uh, Joshua, Jonah goes in that direction, decides he's going to go and book a holiday in Spain. That's where Tarshish is. And there's a big storm. Jonah gets flung overboard. At his, at his suggestion, I might point out, folk weren't being, weren't being cruel. Um, how many of you are sitting at this point singing, come listen to my tale of Jonah and the whale? This, this will date some of you at this point. So Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. The whale very helpfully spits him out on the beach at Nineveh and, and um, Jonah knows when, he's, when basically it's time to give up and he goes and he preaches. That's the story. That's the summary version we tend to tell children in Sunday school. What we miss is that after Jonah had went and told the Ninevites to repent, it says he went up a hill, sat down in a hill, folded his arms and waited to see the judgment of God fall from heaven. He was ready to see somebody get a good smiting. But what happened? The Ninevites didn't read the script. They actually did what Jonah said, and that was they repented of their sins, and God said, great, you've repented. I don't have to bring the calamity on you that I promised. Jonah gets angry because instead of smiting folk, God forgave them. This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. There's a wonderful verse in the Old Testament that says, I do not take delight in the death of the wicked. I would rather the wicked person would repent of their sins and live. That's the God of the Old Testament. But Jonah gets angry because in his self-righteous attitude, he thinks he's better than anybody else. God gave him a second chance. Instead of him getting flung overboard and drowning, and that would have been the end of it, God allows Jonah to go to Nineveh and do the job God gave him to do in the first place. So it was okay for God to give Jonah a second chance, but as far as Jonah was concerned, it wasn't right for God to give the Ninevites a second chance. There's selfishness. There's, a, there's anger. That's the kind of anger that the Bible warns us about. So jealousy, impulsiveness, bitterness, and self-righteousness. 
These are the kind of things that very often make us angry. What about us? Do we get angry when, uh, because we're jealous of other people? Because people get what we think that we should have got? Do we get angry when people or circumstances frustrate us? Or do we lose it when we think that somebody's getting away with it and they deserve to get punished, they deserve something bad to happen to them? It's funny how often we actually get angry when the focus is always on me, 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 mine, what I want, what I think should happen, how I would do things. But what about God's anger? What does make God angry? In the New Testament it says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God is angered by the fact that people break and disobey his laws. And that's not selfish. If I tell my children not to run across the road, and one of them runs across the road, you can bet I'm going to get angry. Am I only going to get angry with my children because they disobeyed me? Why else am I going to get angry? Because one of my kids did something stupid and nearly hurt themselves, could have killed themselves. And so when God gets angry, it's not just because we've broken his laws, but because God is aware of the consequences of breaking his laws. And we, or other people, get hurt as a consequence of breaking God's laws. And like any loving parent, that's why God gets angry. It's not just about God, about you disobeyed me. But it's about the stupidity and the danger and the consequences of breaking God's laws. I mentioned Jesus clearing out the money changers in the temple. And again, you need to know the background. You read the Old Testament and you know that when people went to the temple that they were told that they, could, they had to offer all different kinds of sacrifices, whether it was a sheep or a goat, whether it was a bull, it could be something as small as a dove or a pigeon. Because one of the things I love about God is that God said, if you can afford this, give this. If you can't afford that, give this. And if you can't afford even that, give this. God always made sure that people had the opportunity to participate in worship. That people always knew they could approach him with something and not just be shut out because they couldn't afford it. That was God's heart. But by the time you get to the New Testament, what happened was that somebody had this wheeze. Right, if you're going to offer animals to God, we need to make sure that they meet our specifications and they meet our standards. So we're going to select only the best animals, only the right animals and everything else. Which means you can't just turn up with a goat you've tucked under your arm and expect to be able to offer that to God. You've got to come to us and you've got to buy your offering from us. Maybe not too unreasonable. Then he said, the problem we've got is we've got people coming from all over the world and they all come with this funny money. So therefore, in the temple, you can only use our particular money, which means that when you come from wherever you're coming from, where you're coming from, Rome or Greece or parts of Africa or wherever, you've got to hand over your money and we will then give you the right money so you can go and buy your sacrifice which is fine, but then what happened was that the money changer started to gouge people. 
So I don't know if you've ever had that experience when you went to go and buy something, you go to buy a cup of coffee and you maybe think that, you know, a pound, pound fifty, two pound um, is reasonable. And then you go into the shop and you buy yourself a mocha choppy, whippy, whippy, extra hot with sprinkles on the top and they want to charge you six pound fifty. Well, that was the kind of experience folk were having, that suddenly the God who had decided that, that all offerings should be available to everybody regardless suddenly found that they couldn't afford to buy the offering to present to the priest. And so folk were being excluded from being able to come before God, and that was the thing that ticked Jesus off. That's why he lost it so spectacularly. And that's not the only time. So we're also told in the New Testament that on one occasion, Jesus went to synagogue, Jesus went to church, if you like, and there was a man there who was ill. And Jesus, being the kind of person he was, wanted to heal him and make him better. He could get his life back. He could get his livelihood back. And what actually happened was that folks sitting in the congregation muttered and went, it's the Sabbath, you can't do that. You know, the folk who chain up swings and roundabouts and stuff on the Sabbath kind of thing. That was their attitude, you know. You can't heal somebody on the Sabbath, really. So God can't actually touch somebody because we're in church. And you can't do that kind of thing in church. That made Jesus angry. And Jesus said, stuff you, I'm going to do it anyway. And he healed them. I was reading a passage at our prayer meeting on Wednesday because we're starting a children's holiday club on Monday. And it's the story of people bringing their children to Jesus. And it says in there that when the disciples said to these people and their children, yeah, he's too busy. He's got more important things to do. It says that Jesus was indignant. That's a polite way of saying that he was absolutely raging. And he turns to the disciples and he says to them, do not stop these children from coming to me. And again, it's this idea of some people are more important than others. Only certain people can come to God and not others. That made Jesus angry. Because somebody else was deciding who will God accept and who God won't accept. So, do we tend to get angry when uh, we don't get what we want or what we think we deserve or what we think we have worked for? But God gets angry when his laws are broken. God is angry in response to people being hurt or abused or ex- misused or exploited by other people. God's focus is not just on himself, but God's focus is on those he loves and those he has created. And if you stop and think about that for a minute, in actual fact, sometimes our anger isn't actually all that different from God's. So you hear in the news about some wee kid that has been abused or neglected or starved. We get angry, don't we? When we hear that some pensioner has been attacked in their own home and some lowlife has tried to run away with their life savings or got away with nothing but beating them up anyway, do we not get angry? And shouldn't we get angry? 
When we hear that someone has been killed by someone that was too drunk and should never have got behind the wheel or somebody was shown off and decided to speed through the, the streets of a town somewhere at 90 miles an hour and they knock down and kill someone, do we not get angry? And should we not get angry? When you hear that domestic violence in Glasgow increases during old firm matches, do we not get angry? And should we not get angry? And we can probably think of many other examples like that when we get angry, and in actual fact, it's quite right that we should get angry. And when we think about the cross, when we think about Christ and we think about God, very often the first thing that comes to mind is God's love. And the passage we read today reminds of God's love, walking the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. So the cross is an expression of God's love. But we also need to remember that the cross is also an expression of God's anger against sin. We've got the bread and wine on the table there and we are when uh, this sermon's finished, going to have an opportunity to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. And a passage that we read quite often over communion is one from Isaiah 53 that says, He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And communion is a reminder through the bread that Christ was our substitute. He died in our place and he took the punishment that we deserve for our sins. The wine is a reminder that the price of breaking God's law is death and that the only way in which Christ could take our place and take the punishment which we rightly deserve was for him to die in our place. So the cross is the ultimate expression not just of God's love, but also of God's anger. And one doesn't contradict the other. Sometimes anger goes hand in hand with love. Because sometimes anger is an expression of a desire for justice and to make things right. And in the book Killjoys that um, Mark has um, asked us to, to reach, uh, to, to read and to think about for this series. Uh, that book quotes um, a pastor and teacher called Tim Keller who says this, Anger in its purest form is love in motion. Anger in its purest form is love in motion. Anger is a force for the destruction of injustice performed against an object of love. So we get angry when children are abused because we think that it's adults' jobs to protect children. We get angry when we hear about old people being attacked because we believe that in a civilised society, old people should be honoured and respected. We get angry when we hear that someone has got so drunk that they've went and killed someone because we believe that responsible people should know that they're too drunk to drive and why should someone else suffer the consequences for their stupidity? or for their lack of self-control. Right anger happens when those we love are hurt, when the weak and the vulnerable are attacked, when justice is denied, and when evil is allowed 
to flourish. So this morning, where we are just now is we've spent a bit of time thinking about anger. We've started with the idea that anger is a sin, that it can result in ugly, destructive, harmful things. But we've also seen an actual fact, sometimes anger is right and anger is justified. That it's a right response to when bad things happen, when unjust things happen. So that as I come to an end this morning, I want to leave you with three questions to consider. First one is this. Why am I angry? I can shout at my printer. I can shout at it in all sorts of interesting languages. It's not going to change anything. Is my anger focused on me and what I want? On how I think things should go, how I see things? Would I be this angry if what had just happened happened to someone else? And if the answer is no, then the first question you've got to ask is, well, why do I suddenly think I'm so special? And if the answer is yes, then maybe at that point, it's a right anger. So, why am I angry? Secondly, who is in control? One of the things I didn't pick up on until I started to look at this subject today is, like I said, we have this... We have this idea that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is some angry character who's always smiting people and the God of the New Testament is nice, lovely, cuddly and fuzzy and I would like to think this morning that's one of the things we've put to bed because God gets angry in the Old Testament, God is forgiving in the, sorry, God gets angry in the New Testament, God is forgiving in the Old Testament. There's no difference, it's the same God. But one of the things I found really interesting as I looked at this this morning is that when the Bible talks about God and God's anger, most times what it actually says is that God is slow to anger. That anger is not just God's first response, but because God is in control of his anger, that's when God gives people opportunity time and time and time again to mend their ways. And God contended and fought with people time and time again. God fought with the nation of Israel time and time again, trying to get them to do the right thing before things like making them spend 40 years in the wilderness, before sending them into exile for 70 years and things like that. These things didn't happen overnight because God just lost his temper and decided it was going to happen. And God warned them time and time again, if you continue to break my laws and continue to be disobedient, there will be consequences. And God's anger is not his first response, it's his last response when every other avenue has been exhausted. And that's why the Bible says if we're going to be like God, we should be the same. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If God is slow to anger, we should be as well. We should always be in control of our anger. Our anger should never be in control of us. And thirdly, 
What are you going to do with your anger? Being angry in and of itself is absolutely useless. It achieves nothing. As I said, like me standing this morning screaming at my printer, what would that have actually have achieved? Would the printer have got the fear and sorted itself out? No. <laughs> anger is only useful if you actually use that anger to do something positive. So we've already pointed out that the cross is both the expression of God's love and God's anger. Yes, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But it was also because God was not prepared to leave sin unpunished that Christ came to and died for us. So, when the passage that we read today says, don't let, oh, it's not, here we go. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's one of these phrases that a lot of people quote and don't even realise they're quoting the Bible. You know, and we might dress it up as don't go to bed angry. You might have heard that version, right? And it's great advice in itself. Because if you've ever tried to go to bed and go to sleep while you're absolutely fizzing inside, every muscle is knotted and your stomach is doing somersaults, forget it, you're not going to go to sleep. But it's not just advising you not to stay angry. It's saying, it's not just saying that you can't stay angry forever. The question is, well, what are you actually going to do about what made you angry? And sometimes that means looking at yourself and going, well, actually, that was my fault. <laughs> you know, I'm angry and I shouldn't be. And maybe that means going to somebody and apologising and saying that you're sorry. Maybe that means going and putting something right with somebody. Perhaps that means going and challenging somebody else instead of just walking by and saying, you can't do that. Uh, I'm involved, just, let's just um, put this in my notes. I'm involved in, in where I work in a thing called the White Ribbon Campaign, which is a campaign uh, to end violence against women. And one of the things that this campaign says is that if you believe in this campaign, it says, I promise never to ignore, condemn uh, and condone uh, violence against women. And so therefore, that sometimes means challenging people. Now, maybe sometimes going up to some drunk, angry guy in Glasgow is maybe not a good idea. But, you know, at least you can get your phone out and call the police. Maybe if there's enough of you, you can get yourself between the angry guy in Glasgow. But... The story of the Good Samaritan says that just to walk by and hope somebody else will sort it isn't actually the answer. Don't put yourself in danger, don't be stupid, but don't walk by and don't ignore it either. And so maybe there are times we need to actually speak up uh, and challenge behaviour. Maybe we need to stand up and speak out for those who can't stand up for themselves, uh, who can't defend themselves. Sometimes getting angry is easy. Sometimes getting angry is far too easy. Doing something about what makes you angry, you know, that's a harder thing again. So we've learned this morning, even though we started from a point of looking at anger as a deadly sin, what we've found out this morning is, in actual fact, the Bible says there are two different kinds of anger. There is a sinful anger, and there is a non-sinful anger. There is a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger, a godly anger and an ungodly anger. So the question 
from now on is when we get angry, why am I angry? What kind of anger is this? Is it a sinful anger? Is it a righteous anger? If it's a sinful anger, am I going to deal with that? And get that out of my life? If it's a right anger, why am I angry? And therefore, what am I going to do about the thing that has made me angry? So, deadly anger or directed anger? What are we going to have? What are we going to grow and develop in our lives? Amen. I think it's quite appropriate this morning as we've thought about God's love and about God's anger and about God's justice that um, when Mark comes up, he's going to play an hour song and during that song, if you want to come um, and take the bread and the wine, then please do. The bread and the wine is free to anybody. There is only one stipulation and one stipulation only and that is if you know that Jesus is in your life, that you've accepted him, as your Lord, as your Saviour, if you've asked him to come into your life and change you and take over things and make you into the kind of person he wants you to be, that's the only stipulation. It's not a case of being a member of the church or anything else. You will know yourself that Christ has given you the right to come and take the bread and wine. And if he has, that's what we encourage you to do this morning. Thank you.